Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball Podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by former Playboy Centerfold and cover girl, but now she's transitioned to a top-rated insurance professional. Deborah doesn't take no for an answer. She has taken a lot of risks, and her success has not come easy. Deborah Driggs. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. I really appreciate the time that you allow me today on your show. Thank you. And I'll just clarify for you that SAG is the Screen Actors Guild. You got it right. And I am still a member. And I actually just finished working on a film. So I'm still working in that industry that I started in in 1983, if you can believe that. Well, I just actually interviewed somebody yesterday that's a member as well and was just sitting here looking over your bio and it slipped my mind of what it was. So we're going to be talking about your film as well. But first, why don't you give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I was I'm born and raised in California. I'm a Southern California girl, grew up in the South Bay area, which is Torrance, Manhattan Beach, and Hawthorne grew up in that area. Made my way up to Hollywood, North Hollywood, in 1983. And uh, grew up in Southern California figure skating. So I, you know, my dream as a kid was to compete in the Olympics. And that was the goal, you know, was to do the competitions and, and all of that. And so when my parents got divorced, that dream came to an end. And, but the tools that I learned from having a coach, you know, everything that I knew up until that point was getting up, skating, working with coaches, having kind of goals and, you know, I had that intention. I was just working towards that intention. And when I started to really get some momentum, it stopped. And so the good news is today, you know, when you look back on things like that in your life that were at the time just really difficult, is that there were so many gifts in all of it. And I had, I was way ahead of the game as far as you know, I, I had these tools and these coaches and these mentors that had really taught me what it meant to be in that world, so to speak, you know, and work with coaches and mentors. And so it's no surprise that a lot of other things that I did in my life had that kind of tenacity because I had learned that from those skills. So when I started to go into the entertainment business, I took that with me, that mindset with me. And the same, you know, the same thing applied in anything that I did moving forward. You know, you get, you get somewhere, you're on time, you know, there's no way I would uh, step on the ice late. You know, my coach would have, that just, 
that would not go over. You know, you learn that you learn those little things right off the bat when you have coaches. And so I just knew like I was always that actor that was on the set at, you know, I was there at my call time. There were no excuses. And I just had that mentality and it really helped me because I saw how other people my age were kind of suffering because they didn't have that responsibility, that mindset. They didn't have those skills. And so that kind of really carried me through. And so I decided I was going to be an actress. And I try, I, before that I had done a year as a professional cheerleader. And that is when it hit me that I really want to perform and I really want to get into the acting world because we had been doing morning shows and talk shows and photo shoots and all this great stuff. And we got so much attention as a group, as, as a cheerleading squad that I decided that I really wanted to, con- to continue. And I remember when I, you know, I told my family, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be an actress and a model. And they were just like, yeah, but everybody wants to do that. And only one in a million and only this, and you know how hard it is. And the other thing that I've learned and I'm, you know, well, in, I'm into my 50s now. So the other thing that I've learned is that you never take advice from anybody that cannot see it for themselves or that has not even come close to doing what it is you want to do. How do they know? You know, how do they know? And that's always a question now when I'm starting a business or I'm starting a new project and somebody tries to stop me in my tracks, you know, oh, that's not going to work out. And my first question is always, how do you know? Because if they can give me some really cool answers that I believe or that I think that's a good perspective, I'll listen. I'm all ears. But most of the time, they don't have an answer for that question. You know, how do you know it's not going to work out? How do you know that only one in a million? Show me the statistics, you know? So I kind of learned that at a, at a very young age that People who cannot see it for themselves are not going to see it for you. They're not going to support you. They're not going to cheer you on because it's too uncomfortable. They don't, they don't understand what, what it is you're doing. And so I was kind of out on my own, really, at a very young age. You know, I was going out there doing some really hard stuff and didn't really have the support of anybody going, you can do it. You're you got this, you know. And I actually had the opposite. You know, I had people saying, well, I don't know. I don't know how long that's going to last. Maybe you just lucked out on that one, but you might want to consider something that's more stable. And, you know, so I was getting a lot of pushback. And, you know, the more I booked commercials, the more I booked print jobs, the more I booked gigs, so to speak, the more I booked music videos, the more I progressed in that business, I was not going to, there was nothing stopping me. It was just like, it was like a snowball effect. I just kept going because I knew that if I can book one thing, I, I can book other things. And it just proved to be true. The more I put that energy into what I was doing, the more, more things started happening. And so Playboy came around at a time where I had already been, I had already kind of established myself with agents and I had already done a handful of commercials. I had already started doing print work. And so I got a call that they wanted to see me about 
a project that they were starting and they wanted me for the cover. And, you know, my first question was, well, is there nudity involved? Because, you know, the first thing I thought about in 1989 when somebody mentioned Playboy was nudity. And my agent said, I don't think so. This is for a cover. I don't think they're going to do any nudity. And so I went on the audition. It was kind of a funny audition because I went to the famous building on Sunset and they hand me a robe and tell me to take off all my clothes and that they'll call me back and we'll do a couple Polaroids and that'll be that. And I thought, take off my clothes and put on a robe. I said, I don't, I, that's not the audition that I'm here for. I'm here for the book, the cover of the book. And they said, well, everything we do involves some type of nudity. So we just need to see your body. And just to give the audience a little perspective, because today this wouldn't matter at all, but back then they were looking for scars and tattoos and piercings, birthmarks, anything. I mean, they really were because it was a different time and they were looking for a different canvas back then. Now, today, those things don't matter so much, but back then it did. And so I went and put the robe on, but I didn't take off all my clothes. I left on my undergarments <laughs> and I went into the studio to do the Polaroid and they just kind of laughed at me. You know, they just said, well, we need to see your body. And I said, well, this is it. This is all you're going to see. Cause I don't, I'm not here for that. And so I left and I didn't think it went so well, but somebody in the studio saw my Polaroids and I got a call that they wanted to shoot me for a centerfold, which was so ironic because, you know, I was, kind of put off by the whole audition. So my agent said, you know, I, they are so interested in having you come in and shoot to be a centerfold. And I said, I, I just don't know, like, how will that, you know, will it affect my career? I mean, what will that, you know, I had no, let me tell you what I was. So even though I'm from LA and I have more experience than most girls that come in from around the world to shoot for Playboy. I still just had no idea how it would affect me or I had never thought about it. So after talking about it with a lot of people that I respected in the business at that time, we decided that Playboy was the number one magazine in the world and that it could do nothing but help or, you know, pr pr uh, propel my career, you know, perpetuate you know, what I was doing. And so I went for it and I became March, 1990 centerfold. And I was on the cover of April, 1990 for the magazine. Well, let's talk about what was it like once you finally decided to do, to do the audition, how were you treated as a playboy centerfold? And explain to people what uh, Playboy Centerfold is for those who might not know. So uh, Playboy was back in 1989, like I said, was the number one magazine in the world. If you wanted to read the magazine or see the magazine, you had to buy it. You know, there was nothing online. There was no Internet back then. So th that's what made it really the number one. I think I, I can't even remember what the numbers are, but it was, oh, you know, millions of subscribers and uh, the centerfold was the girl in the middle of the magazine that literally folded out into a centerfold. And it's one of the most beautiful, well-done magazines ever. 
It's it's a total gentleman's magazine. Everything from cars, cigars, amazing articles. You know, the magazine was just way ahead of its time. So, so yeah. So I was the pinup girl centerfold. I don't know. I was trying to think of some other words for it, but yeah, pinup girl centerfold in the magazine, and um, you know, just part of that history, which was amazing. And I was treated how I was treated, amazing. You know, just with. I mean, everybody was just treated first class, you know, really, really beautiful people on the set. You know, they were so, they had this thing down. They knew what they were doing. It was very professional. And it's the reason why the girls look so amazing because they they knew what they were doing. They had three major, uh, the three main photographers, Richard Fegley, who was my photographer, Arnie Freitag and Stephen Weta. And, you know, just three class acts. I got, I had the opportunity to work with all three of them and it was an amazing experience. I have all, all good things to say. I really didn't have any, 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 there was nothing that I could complain about at all. It was just beautiful. Well, how did this opportunity open the doors for other opportunities? Well, you know, I, once, once my issue came out and I was the, the, the it girl for those five minutes, you know, I call it my five minutes of fame because it was just everybody wanted to meet. So, you know, everybody was getting calls saying, can we meet Deborah? Can she come in for a meeting? Whether they had an audition or not, they just wanted to meet in case something did come up and I would be right for it. So I just started going on a lot of meetings, a lot more auditions uh, I got flown to Chicago to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. I got flown to Acapulco to be, to work alongside Bob Hope. I mean, I just got, I, it was like, I was on a whirlwind. Just kind of like went on tour, I guess. Well, let's talk about, so you transition. What made you transition from Playboy to reinventing yourself and building another career? And tell us about that career. So, um, after Playboy, I worked uh, for a few few more years in the entertainment business. And after I got married and had kids, we decided we were going to move to Park City, Utah and raise our three kids in a more wholesome environment and get out of L.A. And so in 2004, my marriage came to uh, an end and I found myself at the age of 40 you know, divorced, broke, three kids, and having to figure out how I was going to bring in a check. And I, my only skills at that time were that, or that I, that I was aware of, you know, that the skills that I knew were going on auditions and working on sets and, and so forth. And so I had an agent in Salt Lake City. I, everywhere I go, I always have an agent and I'll go on auditions wherever I'm living, but it wasn't enough to sustain my kids and I, and I didn't divorce with this huge alimony, you know, settlement. So I had to start over. And so I worked a lot of odd jobs, you know, and uh, got into real estate and had, you know, started building some confidence uh, after passing my real estate exam and, and doing well in that in that uh, business for a while, but in 2008, when the market crashed, 
my business was the first to go because it was a second home, luxury, multi-million dollar market. And so I found myself back at the drawing board and I took a job in New York, which meant that my kids had to live with their dad. And so there were a lot of changes, a lot of chaos. And I ended up taking this job in New York that really, really taught me some business skills, things that I just, you know, I had to learn the hard way, really, because, you know, I I was faking it. I was pretending like I knew what I was doing, but, you know, I was learning as I went along. But the thing that I found that was my number one skill was putting people together and really networking and knowing, oh, you should meet so-and-so. And and then I was really good at setting up meetings and setting up introductions and putting people together. And through that, I reconnected with the group that did my life insurance when I was married. And I had been referring them business. They're located in Beverly Hills. And I met one of the partners when he was in New York. And I said, you know, I refer you a lot of business. Can I start getting a referral fee? And I'll I'll refer you more business. Now that I'm in New York, I'm meeting all sorts of people. And they had an office in New York. And he just looked at me and he said, go get your license. You know, do both. So I did on the weekends. I studied and I got my life insurance license. And I got, I got, I took a whole test on life settlements. And I would say probably around July 2011, I stopped the print procurement business in New York and and started life insurance full time. And by 2012, I had grown my business into a million dollar business. So it was, I mean, I was like, it looks like it happened overnight. It really, everything that went into it was a lot of years. Well, let's talk about a lot of things that you went through th- during the tough times, such as trauma, recovery, and things like that. Talk about all that stuff that you had to go through and how you made it through. Yeah, you know, I would say that for me, interestingly enough, a lot of the trauma and the chaos and all that really hit me in my 40s. And I think I had just been pushing. I mean, I was kind of underlining there before and I I knew something was up, but I just didn't know what it was. I just thought maybe I was a little more agitated than usual, or I was a little more sad than usual. I would always have some reason or excuse for how I was feeling. But when I was 40 and going through my divorce and having big life changes, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought, oh my God, everything that I had been trying to push down for so many years. And I think it just goes right back to childhood abandonment issues with divorce and, you know, my parents not really providing me with the adequate attention at a young age. It just kind of went back to that. And I thought, oh my God, there are so many things here to look at. And so I started on a journey because it was really painful and you know, my divorce kind of brought me to my knees, not because of anything outside of myself, but because it was kind of the mirror of what I had been pushing down for so many years. And so, you know, and I didn't really have time to be on my knees, you know, I kind of had to pick myself up and keep going and just keep pushing forward because there's nobody else going to do it. And, and so that 
became more of a really beautiful mindset for me because I thought, okay, you know, there are choices every day and I can either look at this as something that's really horrible, or I can choose to change the story and rewrite it and start over. And for so long, I was living in a narrative that just wasn't useful to me anymore. And I just stayed in it way too long and really had no tools of how to get out of it. And then once I started having some success in the business, that this last business that, I, that I'm in, when I started having success in 2012, 13, 14, is, it's when I started going slowly, not quickly, but slowly on a journey of like, okay, well, now you have the time, you have the, the financial security, you can go on a journey and you can start working on these things that have been kind of, have been sitting there and haven't really been looked at. So, you know, how can we, how can I look at that stuff? And, and I remember there were a few coaches I met with in the beginning and, you know, I mean, I went through a lot of coaches in the beginning because I, I didn't really relate with a lot of them. And I thought, well, I'm kind of already, I, you know, people think that when you're successful, that they just need to kind of guide you to keep getting successful. And I was looking for more of doing some deep dive trauma work. And so it took me a while before I started finding the right group of people. But through, through that exploration, I really figured out that in life, I had never really picked, I'd never really set up my team of support. And what I mean by that is I had never set up a team of these are the mentors, these are the coaches, these are the cheerleaders, these are the family members, you know, and kind of you, every, every, every group has a purpose that they serve in your life. And if you're going through without any cheerleaders, it's really hard. If you know, if you don't have somebody in your life going good for you, oh my God, that's so great. Keep up the good work. That would be a cheerleader. And if you don't have somebody you can go to when, the financial stuff is falling apart. That would be a mentor, you know, a mentor that understands your business and that, yeah, sometimes things are going to fall apart. Then you go to that person or somebody that's going to help you stay in line with everything that you're doing. Meaning, you know, a coach is an overall coach. Like, did you work out today? Did you pray? Did you do your meditation? Did you make your five business calls? Did you, you know what I mean? Like, that's the coach role. And so I kind of figured out, you know, probably I would say about five years ago that I really needed that team of support, the full team, not just a coach, not just a mentor, not just one cheerleader, but a real team of people in the support group. Like, who do you call really when you feel like everything's falling apart and you don't know what to do? And that's, I was like, wow, who do you call? You know, and for, for a very long time in my life, I didn't have any of those team members. I didn't have that coach. I didn't have the mentor. I didn't have the cheerleader. I didn't have the person that you call when things are falling apart and you need that. I highly recommend that for everybody on whatever journey you're on, 
to have a support, to have a team of, of certain people with certain roles. Like I'm not going to go to my, my cheerleader for financial advice, and I'm not going to go to my mentor for a rah-rah session, you know? So everybody holds a specific role. Well, let's talk about despite all the hardships that you have faced throughout your life, let's talk about how life has became full circle now. Well, yeah, you know, I would say that, you know, I did not grow up with a lot of money. So I I had a lot of fear around financial security because there was none when I was growing up. And I just remember that a lot of the arguing, a lot of the fighting, a lot of the disagreements, a lot of the the subject matter was always revolved around money. And so I obviously I'm going to have a lot of financial insecurity growing up. And I did. And I didn't, I also didn't grow up with, I didn't have examples of real entrepreneurship. I didn't have examples of real loving marriages. You know, I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking right now of one married couple that I knew as a kid that I thought, wow, they look really happy. You know, I didn't have, you know, my grandparents didn't seem real happy. They seemed a bit, 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 what do you call it? Like nip at each other all the time. And, you know, my parents obviously were horrible to each other. And, and then my aunts and uncles, you know, nobody, it just seemed like their divorce was very prevalent. And so I didn't have any examples of any of these things. And, and, you know, when you, you don't grow up with any example or environment that shows you how to do certain things. You have to figure it out usually the hard way. <laughs> and it's, and it's, if, if, you know, now, thank God, there's so many resources out there. It's, you don't even have an excuse. Like, I mean, there's no excuse to not be in shape. I mean, you, you could have the best coaches in the world now for 1999 a month. You can, to have them on Zoom teaching you how to work out. So there's no excuse anymore for any of these things. Everything is available today, but back then nothing was. Kind of you were kind of out on an island by yourself. And I would say how everything has come full circle is, you know, I started out in a business in 1983 that I, I worked really hard to become a part of. And I would say the big difference today is that I've come full circle. I'm back in a business that I love. I just completed a film. I, you know, I am back with the one of my original agents that I signed with back in 1986. I have much more appreciation today for this business that I kind of started taking for granted of when I was in my 20s. I have such a huge appreciation now just to be on a set and working is is a gift. You know, so I don't take any of it for granted today. I think today I have a lot more gratitude in my heart. And I realize that there's just really nothing to be too deeply upset about because we're it's a fleeting moment, this life that we're living. You know, it's it's you know, I've lost a lot of friends these last couple of years. And I, I don't I just know time I'm really aware of time and and what that means. And it's how, how are we spending our day? You know, what are we doing? 
Are we contributing? Are we giving back? Are we doing something good? You know, we had, I, I host a podcast every Sunday night, a live show. And one of the guests we had on famous musician, and he was saying that the, the whole point now, especially after this pandemic that we all live through is to give back. And I agree a hundred percent. It's all about giving back. Well, lay it all out for us. Let's talk about the projects that you're working on, your upcoming projects, your film, your business, your podcast, anything you want to put out there where the audience can check you out, buy some life insurance or whatever they want to do. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I have a website, which is my name. It's www.debradriggs.com. And at my website, I write a weekly blog. So basically, I've turned my journal into a weekly blog. And what I mean by that is anything that I'm thinking about, I'm suffering from, I'm obsessing over, I'm resentful of, I write about it. And then I put it into a blog. And once a week, I post a blog. I've written over 50 blogs, which is amazing to me because a year ago, I would have told you I'm not a writer. And it turns out that I actually really love writing. So that's one of the, the beautiful things that I, I, I do. Next year, I have three books that I'm coming out with, three projects that I'm working on, I should say. Um, and then I just worked on a film called Neon Bleed. And, you know, that is just an amazing project. To work on, and I host a podcast every Sunday night live at five o'clock Pacific Standard Time called Roger the Wild Child Show. And it is me and two amazing radio disc jockeys. And we have all walks of life on the show, but mainly our main guests have been really amazing famous musicians and and it's just turned into a really fun i mean i think we started out with two viewers and or you know two people watch the show and now we're up to like you know a thousand views you know while we're doing the show live so it's it's really turned into a fun a fun gig and i really love working with these two guys jimmy knight and roger gardner and it's it's just i i mean it just It's just amazing how life comes full circle because I would never have imagined a year ago that I'd be hosting a show every Sunday and writing a blog once a week and and back with a print agent and a theatrical agent and auditioning and being back in a business that I love so much. So those are all the projects that I'm working on. You can follow me on social media. You can follow me on uh, my website. And when you, when you sign up at my website, if you, if you go to my website and you sign up for my personal newsletter, you will immediately receive my 15 tips, things that I do every day that, you know, I may not do all of those 15 things, but I guarantee you, I do at least five to six, seven things on that list every day. And that list saves my life. And I can tell you this, everything on that list, I can say, I can almost say, I was just thinking if there's one or two things, but I think everything on the list is, is free. 
they're all free tips, you know, of what to do when you're, when you're kind of spinning out or you're sitting in uncomfortable feelings. These are things that I do. And it's real simple. I keep it so simple today. I, I just cannot allow any type of chaos or uh, unpleasant situation, I should say, enter into my energy anymore. It's just not worth it. Life is way too short. So these are my 15 go-tos. Yesterday, I was having a really tough, tough time around 2, 33 o'clock. I was getting a little burned out and just kind of focusing on the wrong thing. And I thought, okay, what's on my list? You know, because sometimes I forget. I have a list. And one of the things on my list is just go sit in silence. And I have a beautiful spot where I live where I can go sit and just listen to birds, look at the trees. And I just sat in silence. And, and, I, and it's kind of like I dozed off. It wasn't a nap, but you know how sometimes you can go into that deep, tranquil breathing and it feels like it's like the best sleep, but it's not really sleep. It's just Absolutely. You're, you're just in silence. So those are the kind of things that are on my list and it doesn't cost any money to do that. And I felt so much better. It was better than getting a facial or a massage, you know? Your social media is Deborah Driggs, right? Yes, at Deborah Driggs. All right. So guys, make sure you follow her. Do you have any other final thoughts before we close out? No, I think we covered it all. And I want to thank you again. Thank you for having this platform for people to come and share their story. And I'm wishing everybody a blessed day. And before we go, your live podcast, how how do people check that out? Oh, yes. So I would say we have a website, rogerthewildchild.com or on Facebook. If you follow me on Facebook, you will see my show is posted everywhere on my page. Absolutely. Well, Deborah, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join and share your story and teach, motivate, and inspire. Thank you. And listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review after listening. And for all you Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.